The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ricky Hinman. I'm so excited to be with you this uh, morning. So why don't we pray and we'll dive in uh, to the text today. So Heavenly Father, we come before you and just give you praise. God, thank you that you are the God who is by us even when we don't recognize or see it. God, that you are always at work. And so God, let us rest in that work today. So God, we ask that you would be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. So uh, for those of you who don't know this, I grew up here in Morgan Hill. And when I was growing up, I kind of made this subconscious decision uh, that I would never join the cult that is cycling. (laughs) Now, some of you got a little bit more upset, so I'm sorry. (laughs) It's a joke, just like vegans and CrossFitters aren't in cults either. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I really did believe that. I mean, I, I, I grew up in this place where everyone was riding a bike. And when you're a 14, 15, 16-year-old starting to learn how to ride or to drive, when you see a swarm of bicyclists on the road and the way that they act towards cars, I'm like, I don't think I ever want to join that. Well, there's this saying that says, never say never, <laughs> Right. Because, of course, during COVID, uh, my gym closed down, and I'm an active rest type of a person, and so I ended up buying a bike. Um, <clears throat> but when I bought that bike, I made this, once again, subtle decision, subconscious decision, rather, that I'm not going to go all in. So I'm not going to get the outfit. I'm not going to get the shoes. I'm not going to carry the extra gear. Well, uh, two weeks ago, that kind of put me in a bad space. (laughs) So I'm riding my bike, and I'm actually enjoying my time. I had worship music on. I was just kind of praising the Lord. And and I'm about eight miles away from my house, and I hear this death sound of... I was like, oh my gosh, what is that? Did I hit a snake? That was very loud. (laughs) And I looked down, I was like, oh, that's not a snake. That's a hole in my tire. (laughs) And in that quick moment, I went from joy to desperation. Because uh, an eight-mile bike ride isn't too bad of a ride back home. An eight-mile walk with your bike on your back is a little different. I just remember sitting there just going, oh my gosh, I did not expect this. My question for, for you this morning is, have you ever been in a situation like that? Where life was going good, things were going well, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it turned and you got into a season of desperation. And you're sitting in that desperation trying to figure out what to do or what is going to happen. And the truth is, I know that's a rhetorical question because every single one of us at some point in our life is going to be in a season of desperation. And understanding how to navigate that journey is some of the biggest, one of the biggest parts of that process. Because if you don't know what's going to take place or some of the commonalities that you're going to experience in that journey, it can become very depressing and hard to navigate. And so this this morning, I want to talk to you about the journey of grace and, and the process that we will experience and some of the expectations you will probably go through in that journey. 
So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up with me to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have your Bibles, it is with you in the little handout that you got. And I'm going to read this. So follow along. We're going to be starting in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. And it says this. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people passed around him, and there was a woman who had discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she came up behind him and touched the fringe of the garment, of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declaring in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And when she, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the father and mother of the child. And they were all weeping and mourning for her. But, they, but he, Jesus, said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. She got up at once, and he directed that someone should give her something to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I want you to imagine for a moment what it would be like to be the father of this story, to be Jairus. If, and some of you, my assumption is, is you probably know exactly what it's like. You had a child be in a situation that is life or death, and you know exactly what it means to run in desperation to the father for help, to Jesus for help. But my assumption is most of us don't understand what it means to be like that but maybe we understand what it means to run after Jesus for something. Maybe you're in a situation right now where your marriage is coming to an absolute halt. Like you're looking at the future of it and all you can see is death unless something changes. Maybe it's your finances and you're walking through this situation in life and you're looking down the pipeline and going, if something doesn't radically change, we're gonna be bankrupt. Or maybe it's not a physical death, but a spiritual death, and you're looking at someone in your family, and you're going, why are they walking down this path? And so you know what it feels like in desperation to run. 
Now, when we're in a desperate situation like I was on my bike, I have a hope and then I have an expectation, right? I have a hope and an expectation. My hope is that when I make my phone call to my wife, that she will say to me, oh, sorry, hon. Of course, I'll come get you and put the kids in the car and go on my journey. But my expectation is what? That she's going to answer the phone. We have an expectation that when I come in desperation to hear someone talk for an answer, that they're going to speak back to us. And we'd be willing to be comfortable with the answer saying, I'm so sorry, I can't. I can't bail you out this time. I've got a lot of counseling sessions right now, so I can't meet with you. So why don't you try to this person or that person, right? We are okay with that answer. Not really, but we, we'd be okay if that gave it, like we just spoke to us. And there's been so many times that I've read this story that I had that expectation too. That when the father went to Jesus, that he answered him. But if you look at it in verse 42, this is what it said. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying as Jesus went. As Jesus went. Luke, the author of this uh, book, is... uh, we believe as a doctor, someone who's very meticulous about his words. And we see throughout the times that he gives instruction about the healings that he tells when Jesus responds. And so this should stand out to us here. There's not an answer. And what we can learn about this is that the, that the journey of grace and something you're going to experience or commonality is that God's presence is at work even in his silence. See, the truth is many of us are going to be in hard and desperate situations and we're gonna be running to the Father and not hear an answer yet. And not gonna see something take place yet. But many of us, because of that, just stay stagnant. We stay put. Could you imagine how weird that would be if the father here ran towards Jesus and just stopped? I mean, just imagine this for a second. Caleb's over here, so I'm running, right? <laughs> Caleb, I really need your help. Can you please, please help me? I, my bike, I just got, it got ran over. Like, I just, I'm desperate. And, and then Caleb doesn't say anything and just gets up. And I'm just sitting here, <laughs> crying out to an empty chair saying, please help me, give me an answer, give me a response. And I've never looked up to see that he's not sitting there anymore. Sorry. (laughs) But how many of us in our seasons of desperation do exactly that? We sit at an empty chair because no words have been spoken and saying, come on, I need the plan. I need the the direction. I need the purpose. And we lie stagnant instead of being in the presence of the active father who started to walk towards the place he needed to get. And so when we are in seasons of desperation, one of the things that we need to be very aware of is, are we actually in the presence of the father? 
Are we spending time in his word? Are we in community? Are we joining around other people to be in the presence when we cannot hear him speak? Because we know that he's working even in the silence. And so we see that the father joins him in this journey. And as he starts to walk, remind yourself this, he hasn't spoken to him yet. Something happens. Something takes place. Now, when we read through scripture, there are times when the author of the text gives us information that the audience at large doesn't know. And this is one of those examples. Luke gives us an insight to the woman and her experience, but it's an insight, right? If I'm in the crowd, I don't know that she's been bleeding for 12 years. I don't know her story. And so if I am walking down this path with Jesus and all of a sudden he stops, if I'm the father, I've got a lot of questions. Right? I've got a, a lot of things going on in my heart saying, why isn't there movement? What's taking place? And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, who, who touched me? And it gets so awkward that Peter finally answers him. Have you ever been in a situation like that? When someone asks a question, everyone kind of looks away. It's like, uh, I don't want to do that. Right? Dead silence. Then finally, that one brave person, after like enough time, goes, Okay, I'll do it. Fine. Right? Like we see this here. Peter, finally, after the crowd has like gotten silent and no one's answering, goes, Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? There are a lot of people in the audience right now, and you can barely walk down the street. And Jesus says, No, no, no. Someone touched me because I felt my healing presence, right? I, I, I know that it left me. I know someone was healed. Now, I don't think Jesus was asking this question because he didn't know who the woman was. I'm a firm believer that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and so he was very much aware of who this woman was. But the reason he was asking the question is because she had only received at that moment a partial healing. Now, don't let me get misquoted here. I believe the moment she touched him, her physical healing was taking place, but that wasn't the only healing this woman needed. Back then, in this day and age, there wasn't hygiene like we know. it. People couldn't go wash their hands with soap. They're not wearing masks. Um, there's things like that taking place. That didn't happen. And so if you were sick, you were in mandatory quarantine. Now that's a trigger word for us. But this was their livelihood. So this woman has been sick for 12 years, meaning that she has been in mandatory quarantine for 12 years for something that she couldn't prove would have ever been healed. If she had, a, a, she's been bleeding for 12 years, so graphic, but she's been on a period for 12 years. There's no way that she could have proven to the crowd that when she touched Jesus secretly, that she was restored. Who would believe her? 
You've been sick this whole time. You've been struggling this whole time. How all of a sudden on a random Tuesday, I don't know if it was a Tuesday, um, did this all change? And so what Jesus was doing, he wasn't just physically healing her. He was also uh, mentally and emotionally healing her. He needed, he realized this woman needed to be brought back into the community. And what we can learn is this, is that God's grace is personal. And so when we are on our own season of desperation, we have to stop comparing our story to someone else's because we don't know all the details. I'm a firm believer the deadliest disease to the human soul is comparison. And what this is, is I'm looking at something or someone else to determine my value or my significance and my worth. And so what we do is we start chalking up all of the things that we're good at and start comparing it to other people. And so we look at this text and we see that this man is a ruler in a synagogue. And without the knowledge of what's taking place in this woman's life, how frustrated would I get if I am looking at this from my own perspective and saying, I've been serving God faithfully for so long and this woman looks ragged. Someone who's been out of the community, we, tell, we are told that she doesn't really have a champion or anyone to be around her and support because she's spent her own money trying to get healing. And if she's on the outside of the community because she's in a mandatory quarantine, meaning she literally doesn't have anyone fighting for her. So she's probably in ragged clothes and looks very weak. And in that day and age, with all the things going on, they would assume that this woman had some traumatic sin that caused her there. But this ruler is saying, How, what about me? Right? Like he, at least I would imagine that. I'm not saying he actually says that. But if I was in his shoes, I would think that. And that's where the comparison trap starts to sicken our soul. Because we don't know the people's stories around us. And so we start to compare ourselves and say, what about me, God? And we think that God has given up on our personal grace journey but he hasn't. And so if I were to say this to you all today, if there's any person that you should be comparing yourself to, it's to who you were yesterday. And the questions that you should be asking yourselves are this, am I loving more selflessly today than I did yesterday? Am I thinking more biblically today than I was yesterday? Am I living more humbly today than yesterday? Am I giving more generously than I had in the past? Am I serving more willingly? In essence, am I becoming more like Christ or not? Because that's what we are all called to do. No matter what's taking place, in the world around you. And so we understand that God's grace is his presence at work, even though it is silent. At the same time, we have to understand that God's grace is his personal touch, even when we don't fully recognize it yet. And so the story continues that as Jesus is talking to this woman, the most, like, most disturbing message is given to this father. 
as a father of two daughters, I can't imagine the emotional wreck I would be in as I'm standing by Jesus who hasn't spoken to me yet, who's just called some other woman daughter to hear that mine has just died. But what I love about what's happened here is this proves once again that first point because it says that, but Jesus hearing hearing this answered, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. Meaning that Jesus was close enough to hear the devastating news and spoke directly to it. And what we need to understand is that in our grace journey, that God's grace is sovereign. Now, sovereignty means to be ruler over all. And so the way that I like to think about it is this. God has the ability to put a comma in a story where everyone else has put a period. And then God also at the same time has the ability to put a period where everyone else saying the story must continue. That's what it means to be sovereign. It means that he has the ability to rule over all. And I know I've been able to experience both those things in my own life. When I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, this was probably seven-ish years ago, I was approached by another church in another city. And it was a very large uh, church, and they were looking for a new uh, youth pastor, and they're wanting to kind of take over the whole ministry. And they're like, hey, we've heard about you. Your name has been kind of mentioned. Would you consider walking through this journey with us? And I said, sure, why not? And about three months into this journey, this process, uh, we were kind of told, hey, like, you're kind of our front runner. We still got a couple of things to do. And so my wife and I decided, you know what, if we're really going to continue this journey, Let's go sit in a service. Like, let's go actually see, is this really where God's calling us to? And and truthfully, we were driving there. It's an hour and a half drive with the expectation that we were going to sit there and like the heaven's gates were going to open and doves were going to come out and it was going to be this like, yep, this is it. And as we sat in that service, started to get uncomfortable. And that excitement started to fade. And by the time that we left, I think both my wife and I looked at each other with tears in our eyes saying, I think God is telling us no. And that to me was the most devastating news I could ever think of because on paper, this looked like the greatest move for my career. Like they wanted me, like if anything, like they should be the one to say no, Lord, not me. And he goes, no, I I want you to pull your name out because they're not going to say no. So the next day I did. I was so angry. At God, God, why did you put a period in this story? How dare you do this? This doesn't make sense. And about like eight months later, Charlie would have been about two months old at the time. I had someone reach out to me and say, I don't know if you know that church that you were going to be working at. I would have been there about four months at the time. Uh, this past weekend, the senior pastor let go three-fourths of the staff. And I was like, What? This is a church of 10,000 people. Like, that's a lot of people to let go. And I remember God saying to me, and that's the reason I said no. And he was saying, I couldn't let your young family with a newborn walk through that. But at the same time, I also know when God has put a comma and a period, 
when my wife and I were dating, uh, about a year into it, or, uh, I had broken my ankle and I got into a pretty dark place. And truthfully, I'd taken a lot of it out on her, not knowing it at the time. And one day she just came up to me and said, I can't do this anymore, we're done. And in that moment, my heart just ripped into you. I really believe this is the person I was gonna spend the rest of my life with. And, and all of a sudden, that was done in an instant. And it looked like the period was placed, the story was over, and it was because of my doing. But God had a different story in mind. And so as he started to soften my heart, we started working together. And I can't physically imagine now what it would be like to live life without her. But on all accounts, I really did believe the story was done. And I'm so grateful for the grace she continuously gives to me because I put periods in places I shouldn't. Um, And so what we can, amen, he did. He got to get me in check for sure. I think he still is. (laughs) And so what we understand is God's grace is sovereign. And the sad reality about that truth is many people, they laugh about your willingness to trust his sovereignty. If you see this, it says that in verse 53, after Jesus has said so in 52, it says, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And what was said, and they laughed at him. One of the hardest parts about walking in your grace story and your grace journey is that we have to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God, even when other people are laughing at us. Even when people are saying to us, it's not going to work out, or you should be making this decision, we have to be spending time with the Father enough, being in his presence knowing that he is personally in charge of our story. And so I can rest in him when everyone else is laughing. I actually wasn't going to talk about this, but I feel like I need to. So, And then after Jesus restores the this girl's spirit. In verse 56, there's something that really stands out. Luke, once again, I said, is very meticulous about his words. And after most healings, Luke tells us that the person who experienced the healing believed. But when we read it here, it says these parents were amazed. They were amazed. Now, there's no indication that says that they didn't believe, but Luke didn't write it. And I never want us to be walking in a journey where God is showing up and showing off, and we just say, wow, that was amazing. Instead of saying, I worship the king who, who helped me walk this journey. That's a sad reality of our world is that we allow circumstances to be amazing instead of God glorifying. And so are you in a situation right now where maybe you're just amazed 
instead of saying, God, here's my life. Are you in a situation where you have said, wow, that's really cool. I kind of like Jesus or I'm on the fringes and he did something really amazing, but you know what? I'm gonna keep living the way I want to. Or will you give and surrender your life to the king? The one who is working on your behalf, the one who sees you personally, the one who's in control. See, what I think Luke really wants us to understand is this. The presence of Jesus is getting his hands dirty with the problems of this world. And when he does that, we see him quietly coming alongside us to speak to our discomfort and fear with his presence and his peace. And he welcomes our trembling touch and responds with the most critical biblical command, do not be afraid. Believe. So do you believe? In a moment, uh, the band's gonna come back up and we're gonna continue in a, a time of worship. And I love the song that we're gonna be singing because the song is, says, Jesus paid it all. And if you're in the audience right now and if you've never experienced that amazing blessing of, of falling at the feet of Jesus and seeing him take power and control over your life and what he can do with it, would you take some time today? Would you get right with the Father, with your Savior, and say, Lord, I need you? because you are the one who paid it all. You are sovereign, you are good. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in hope that you are the God who speaks to our soul, who senses what's taking place and understands our journey. And so Lord, I ask that as we go about our situation that we wouldn't, get stuck behind you. That we would come alongside of you and recognize that you are at work. God, that we would rest assured in your saving grace and understand that, Jesus, you are where my hope is found. So God, we love you. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.